Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive interview. And today we have on Sean Wang. Uh, this is not our typical kind of interview. It's not any one specific company. It's the cloud industry overall. And, and you're going to hear us talk about it, but it's, I think, an industry that a lot of people are very curious about, but don't quite grasp the intricacies. Sean clearly does. And, and you're going to see that. And he does a really, really good job explaining the ins and outs of the industry and and. Uh, my favorite part was probably when he talked about the the differences in the big three cloud providers and how integrated or entrenched they are with their customers. It's it's really a fascinating conversation, just given how how wonderful these business models have proven to be, and and you can see that just looking at Amazon and Microsofts, and even Google's is is turning towards their uh, turning towards that profitability. But uh, you can see it in the financials that they they break out for these businesses. So. It was really exciting. Uh, did you have any highlights specifically? Yeah, I I think the whole thing was great. The discussion around Cloudflare was really fun. Where talking about how they're trying to attack them from a different angle, and man, I think just the long term contract. I, we don't talk investing specific things, but I think there's a ton of investing takeaways you can have from here and why these businesses do look promising and why they're going to be so important uh, this decade. Uh, but first, before we get to the interview, why don't we talk about our new sponsor uh, for 2023, and that is Stratosphere.io. Stratosphere.io is a phenomenal platform, um, and it is a great way to use you know, research, get uh, data, data points, financials, all this good stuff, and it's very accessible. And the best part is it's free. So you can use it. You don't have to, you know, spend $20,000 on a Bloomberg terminal. You can do tons of different things with stratosphere.io. You can have up to 35 years of historical financial financial data and KPI. KPIs, you have company-specific metrics like Netflix or Spotify subscriber counts, Costco locations, tons of other stuff for specific businesses. And the best part of it is you have, uh, how do I even describe this? You can get all the financial filings. You can get all the SEC filings all in a centralized location. So you don't have to use the Edgar service, which is clunky, or go to all the different investor relations websites. This can be your homepage as an individual investor. And on top of that, they have a premium plan for professionals where if you want to use our promo code CCM for 15% off, you get uh, 15% off your paid plan. That is promo code CCM. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Check them out. It's an awesome service, and the best part is it's free. Ryan, yeah. anything else before we? No, start I want to. I want to follow up on this because this is a new sponsor, and I'm really excited that they're sponsoring us because we're we've, we're friends with the founder, and we actually use the service, and it's it's. I don't know how to say it. It's really awesome, and it's free. You, it basically takes so much grudge work or grunt work out of your day if you're researching stocks. You think about you think about a service like. Coifin or something like that, where you can research all the financials, you get that. Plus, you get the co- the company specific KPIs, like you mentioned it already. The Netflix, the Spotify subscriber counts, which can take so much time to just research yourself. It's it's all centralized. It's really pretty sweet. So, really recommend checking it out. Stratosphere.io. Um, and uh, if if you're looking for a paid plan, you get fifteen percent off with that code CCM. But without further ado, here's our interview with Sean Wang. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today, uh, we are welcomed in by, or we are joined by Sean Wang. He's first time guest. And I believe he, uh, he found us by listening to the show. And we are for, for our recurring listeners, you know, that we talk about cloud, cloud all the time, cloud computing, but we're novices. And Sean said, uh, 
I can I can provide some some helpful uh, context on the cloud industry, and we knew that would hopefully be a, a great listen for uh, or a great episode for listeners. And just a little bit about Sean, uh, he's the head of developer experience at Airbyte. He's also the author of the Coding Career Handbook. So if you if you like this interview and you want to read up on anything else, feel free to check that stuff out. We'll uh, we'll link the handbook in the in the bio. But before we start, I, I do want to say. I personally am really looking forward to this because I think cloud is a space that, and I'm sure you get these comments all the time. It's an industry that tons of investors are excited about just because of the economic characteristics and that kind of the growth at scale that they're seeing from Amazon and a lot of the other big tech companies as well in the industry. But it's kind of one that you just vaguely know, myself included. Um we know we understand the concept, but not quite the ins and outs. So hopefully, this interview can provide some additional context. But before we get into that, let's talk about you. What, what's your background, and and how did you? I guess what are you doing today? Yeah, um, probably my background is more relevant here. So uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, so I literally I, I was a I've been listening for a few months, uh, and then I heard you guys struggling with cloud stuff, and I was like. I, I know cloud stuff. I can come on and, and chat with you. Um, so my background is useful here because I used to be in finance. I used to uh, be in sales and trading on currency derivatives. And then I switched over to, uh, to the buy side, uh, trading TMT stocks. So uh, tech media telecom uh, in a hedge fund. I was in Baliazni for uh, a couple of years. Um, and over there, I... Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of quantum mental is what they call it, which is what you, you mix uh, qualitative with uh, quantitative uh, investing. Uh, and we covered a bunch of cloud stuff um, similarly, right? Like, uh, this is in 2014, 2015. And um, there was so many uncertainties from the financial side because like I could break down a financial statement. I could talk about like projections and stuff like that. But really when it came down to the underlying technology, I didn't know uh, a router from like a switch or whatever, right? Like it, it was just so... Um, opaque to me. And I felt very uncomfortable with that. Um, and I think my key learning, I think it was, it was 2015, there was a small bout. Uh, I don't know if uh, either of you guys were covering Amazon at the time, but uh, there's a small bout of worry with regards to the economy, right? Will we going into recession? Like, we now know that we weren't, we're not, but like back then it was one of those moments where it kind of felt like the end of 2021, where everyone was like, okay, this is the peak. This is it. You know, <laughs> you don't actually know. Um, and there was a thesis, we were long Amazon and we actually sold our Amazon position because there was a thesis that um, Amazon uh, AWS division would suffer because it was overexposed to startups. Um, and I, in, in, in 2015, 2016 played out and it turned out that it was complete nonsense and Amazon uh, compounded quite a bit and we fell behind in our, <laughs> in our, in our uh, benchmark because of that. Um, and I think that spurred me a lot to realize I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was, I was talking about talking points that the rest of the street was talking about and had no fundamental understanding of the business. And probably that was going to be important if I wanted to understand this completely. So I switched careers completely. I went from uh, tech, to, uh, so I went from finance to tech. I went into a coding bootcamp and I, Came out of it as a software engineer and uh, worked my way up, um, and so yeah, that's that's a little bit of my my background. I, I can talk about what I'm doing today, but I just saw Brett unmute. So did you have a I, question? Uh, I was uh, yeah warming up for the next question. If you have anything else though, uh, on well, your I'll, I'll or, give you yeah. yeah, I'll give you a bit. I'll, I'll fill out the background a little bit. So yeah. uh, left Baliasni, went to bootcamp, and then uh, was a software engineer for a bit, uh, and then joined Netlify, which is a second layer cloud, which is something we'll talk about, uh, built on top of AWS, um, and then left Netlify to join AWS itself. Uh, worked there for a year, um, and then uh, and now moved into uh, data engineering, which is my my current role at Airbyte. Uh, so I can talk about the the breadth of the cloud services and the startup ecosystem, the small players are the big players. Um, I don't have specific numbers in mind because I'm not an industry analyst, but I can talk about it from the developer point of view and answer any questions you may have. All right. Yeah. We're going to move right into that. Uh, we're going to get into the details. We're going to hit the individual big threes, and then we're going to hit stuff like Cloudflare, Snowflake, and then the second layer stuff like you mentioned, and a few other things. But first, I think just as an overview, some people might not even understand you know, what's driving uh, or who who's even spending money in the cloud today? What does the cloud market look like in late 2022? Jeez, 
<laughs> See, that's one of those industry analyst questions that I'm that I'm like, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I would just refer you to one of those reports. Uh, it, it, at this point, you know, I think at the at the high level, um, if you talk about like Fortune 500 type companies, it's the CIOs and the CTOs, they would talk about things in terms of digital transformation, right? What percent of their workload? Uh, is in the cloud versus on their own uh, premises. Um, and I think the numbers are somewhere between 30 to 50% of all computing and all IT budget is uh, in the cloud. Um, so there, there is still significant, There's there's been a lot of progress made, but then there's there's still some ways to go. Probably we'll never reach 100%, but maybe the steady state of things will be 70 to 80%, which means um, there's another doubling from here. I don't. These are numbers I'm just kind of roughly ballparking for you. I don't actually know the, the full numbers, and obviously individual sources will differ in their statistics. I do think that the probably the best way to identify all these sort of very, very high-level macro things is to look at the individual cloud keynotes. So AWS reInvent, uh, Google's um, and, and Azure's uh, events, uh, respectively, they will, they'll talk a little bit about their, their runway. Um, famously, um, uh, Jeff Bezos was like, this is TAM unconstrained. <laughs> but I mean, that's not realistic. Like there is a TAM, it's just very big. So who knows? Uh, it's hundreds of billions of dollars. Gotcha. And I think, you know, the growth has been phenomenal over the last five years. And I think for context today, well, uh, listeners would be, you know, it'd be helpful to understand what drove growth over the last five years and what do you think will drive growth, say, from we're not talking about maybe just revenue or whatever, just from a usage perspective as someone that works in industry today, what will drive growth over the next five? And do you think maybe it's the same exact thing? Okay, interesting. Um, so, again, this is another sort of industry wide thing that like I, I would earmark myself as not an expert. Um, the last three years have been basically determined by COVID, right? Uh, and then there's sort of two years before that. Uh, fortunately, that's exactly the, the uh, pretty much the amount of time I've been in the industry. I would say that a big part of growth has been driven by essentially the programmatic configuration of cloud. Um, you used to have to go, if you think about the early days of Amazon, think about the early days of like the, the earlier clouds, like rack space or digital ocean or you know any anything that's sort of older uh, you would have to go in and sort of configure things yourself um, to ssh into terminals and then um, set them up by running terminal commands this would be a lot of the job of a sysadmin um, that has essentially upgraded into uh, what uh, the profession is now called devops um, where, where it's like a developer driven uh, operational um, engineer um, and you would provision large uh, quantities of cloud resources by running Terraform scripts or configuring Kubernetes. Um, each of these technologies uh, have risen to essentially control vast uh, pro uh, swarms of, of, of cloud resources uh, on your behalf. Uh, and that, I think that's that's really scary for some people because um, you like it's it's very hard for one person to understand all of it, and the cloud diagrams are ridiculous. Uh, but I think it's pretty optimistic for the capabilities of the individual developer because I can control so much more than an individual machine. Um, if you think about, you know, the the sort of alternative to cloud, and this is like the how people got started with the IT stuff in the nineties, like you would have to buy machines, you have to rack and stack them in a data center. And the primary purpose of cloud is to, to get to eliminate all these, right? That, that uh, they would run the data center for you and you would sort of um, just buy them off the shelf um, on, by clicking some buttons and you would have it spun up for you. Um, so I think going from that, going from sort of clicking buttons in the UI, which is what we call click ops to, infrastructure as code, which is programmatically provisioning vast quantities of these and managing them in a very deterministic fashion that uh, that we understand uh, exactly what's going on. Um, that has been a big driver for, for cloud in the past five years. Um, I would also say something that I've been personally involved in is, is essentially the evolution of second layer clouds, like Netlify, the company I used to work at, Vercel, um, and there's a bunch of others. There's Railway, there's, there's, a, there's a whole ecosystem of verticalized clouds on top of the the big three clouds, uh, which are providing horizontal services uh, as well. So um, I, I don't know if, I mean, and then off, so that, that's the macro sort of fundamental trends that is going on, the, the, uh, the evolution of DevOps. Um, it was accelerated by COVID, uh, obviously because everyone needed to move online, uh, not because 
de- developers were basically working online anyway. Like I was remote before COVID. And so like my life didn't change, which is a little bit worrying to me. But <laughs> but I think just the, the sheer amount of e-commerce, for example, that moves online, the, the sheer amount of SaaS services that this people started paying for. Um, you know, if you think about um uh, this the scaling needs of something like uh, Clubhouse or Zoom that suddenly overnight became business critical stuff. Um, these these were only made possible because uh, in the past like three to four years we actually had uh, all the techno- techno- technology advances made to increase the provisioning of cloud uh, in in a in a in a very quick fashion. So uh, and another thing I, I I like to bring out now that ChatGPT has happened is ChatGPT scaled from zero to one million users in five days, uh, and that sort of thing doesn't uh, typically doesn't happen without uh, programmatic cloud provisioning. Okay, I've got I've got, I've got like a million follow ups, but I think I'm going to start Go. with uh, I'll start with I guess the legacy system or what it used to be and maybe still is to some extent today. Are, are there any advantages from a startup's perspective of going with the traditional model of, I think the term you used was rack and stack or on-premise servers as opposed to- Bare metal is another word. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any advantages to that or is it just too costly? Cost. Uh, Well, cost and control, right? Um, So- uh, I have friends who work at Equinix and uh, and Packet and uh, other bare, bare metal providers. They are very specialized in in terms of uh, those those costs. And um, I think basically, whenever you make these kinds of cloud cloud decisions, you can always go down one layer of abstraction in order to gain more control to and to uh, to decrease costs as well. Uh, but that it, th- there are trade offs for that, right? In exchange for that, you, you do take on more maintenance, uh, like you would have to have the, the people who know how to do that on staff. Um, and when things go wrong, like you can't blame anyone else, you have to go fix it yourself, like that sort of thing. And, and to some extent in enterprise SaaS, which is most of the, the, the businesses that I'm involved in, um, there is an acceptable level of failure, where if AWS is down, you can just blame it on AWS and no one will, no one will will blame you. Whereas if you took over your own data centers and your data centers catch fire or go down, it's on you. And <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a little bit of trade-off there. Um, I will also uh, offer up the idea that um, specialized cloud services uh, are, do exist and are valid. So for example, right now in the AI, AI field, there is a nuclear arms race for NVIDIA A100 chips. And all those are essentially uh, GPU server farms that are independently run because Amazon just would not invest in that uh, itself. You want to control that yourself, right? So that amount of control, specialized compute, uh, it's not a cost decision. It's just simply those general general big three cloud services don't have your use case in mind. And there's also with that security is important. I don't know if you were mentioning that in kind of a... uh, Security is important. There's a very famous uh, Google Cloud video uh, by Stephanie Wong, their their, uh, head developer advocate of like five layers of security to just get into a data center in in, in Google, uh, which is pretty uh, fascinating if you want to check that out. All right. Another question. You mentioned, uh, I believe the term was second second layer cloud. Can you describe what that is just broadly and then um, maybe some of the some of the examples, like an example use case? Yeah, uh, so a, a cloud built on top of clouds, <laughs> and it, it is—it uh, sounds ridiculous until you try to use Amazon, and and you realize that you need to go to you know Amazon Cloud School for nine months in order to get something productive done, or you could build uh, you could use a service that's built on top of Amazon that is specialized for your use case. So, I came from a background of primarily JavaScript developers. So let's say. Overall population of the developers in the world is about 70, 80 million developers. About 30, 30, 40 million of them are JavaScript. Another 30, 30, 40 million are Python. Uh, and the rest are a fairly long tail of C Sharp and Swift and what, what have you. Uh, so JavaScript is, is a huge chunk of developers. And these guys do not know cloud. They, 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 they do not have the patience to go learn uh, AWS cloud formation. They don't, don't have the patience to, to wrangle like a bunch of different things. Uh, so essentially, uh, what these second layer clouds are, are cloud distributions that predefined preset number of things. I will pick, you know, five of these things for you and set them up in, in a way such that you don't have to think about them. You as a non-specialist in cloud can actually use them. Um, and I, I, I think that is basically emerging as 
um, a, a huge trend. I mean, emerging is a, is is a, is understating it because this was an investment thesis like five years ago that has largely played out. So I mean, it's pretty much <laughs> it's pretty much validated. Uh, and so Vercel, Netlify, um, Begin, uh, Railway, uh, these are all second layer clouds, all built on top of AWS or Azure or GCP. Um, to verticalize to serve a certain segment of the market that is underserved by definition because uh, the, the big clouds just cannot optimize for those, those things. Um, and so if you build a better developer experience, uh, they will migrate to you. And essentially they, they become aggregator, aggregators of that audience for the first layer clouds. And it's, I think it's a nice symbiotic relationship, but it's also a little bit uncomfortable because at some point, if you want to gain more control over your margins, then yes, you do build your own um, uh, data centers and you start leaving Amazon. Uh, but that is intended to be an abstraction layer and most companies haven't had to reach there. I mean, it's essentially getting to the point where um, it, like the AWS and GCPs and Azure's of the world, the first layer clouds uh, become pro pro um, commodity providers of infrastructure. Um, and there's pretty much no reason why you would ever try to compete with them. You should try to compete on user experience or developer experience um, on features on on things that they care about rather than the the sheer operation of machines uh, which uh, you know the AWS data center people are perfectly capable of doing does the second layer cloud change the this might might be something you know but since you worked in the industry you might does it change the unit economics for the big cloud providers are they getting say lower margin do you believe um or what's the revenue share like for a uh, so, second layer cloud versus aws so as far as it as, as i'm aware aws is concerned uh AWS doesn't care at all these 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 companies appear like regular customers to them they just they're basically aggregators of demand right like uh, uh they're they're sort of resellers uh, it's almost all, it's almost like a drop shipper <laughs> Of, uh, of compute services, um, as far as they as far as they're concerned, obviously, you know the second layer clouds are very incentivized to provide value added services on top of them, and and they do, um, and so it's intended to be higher margin but lower volume, right? And you sort of try to make it up from there. Um, uh, but I think you know in a in a in a in a weird way, it kind of makes sense that they're symbiotic in, in the sense that like um, Amazon. You know, it's focused on on margins, focused on large scale, whereas the the smaller clouds uh, focus on uh, higher margins, but uh, but maybe slightly smaller TAM. But I mean, like I just told you, like the TAM is still pretty huge. Um, the the fact that you can build uh, multiple unicorns on top of uh, AWS kind of speaks for itself. All right, we're we're going to talk about each of the big cloud providers individually, but uh, kind of just looking at them as a whole, AWS, Azure, and GCP account for the majority of the market right now. I believe I saw one of those industry analyst reports that was like 75%. Um, In that ballpark, yeah. Why? There's Oracle, there's IBM, yeah. Okay, why would that change over the f future? Is there any way that... It's not changing. <laughs> there's, it's not even worth discussing. It's not changing. <laughs> there's, so I guess, what are, the, what are the advantages then? Yeah, well, why is it so entrenched? Why is it so entrenched? Uh, for one thing, uh, big gets bigger in tech. That's definitely something that you 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 see a lot. Like the the sheer network advantages of um, I serve more customers, therefore I know more customers, uh, and I can build more for them because I have more resources. Because I from the, from the same the same money that I got, big just tends to get bigger in tech uh, and. Being one of the big three, uh, the the fact that there, there's an it feels like an arbitrary cutoff, but I think it's quite a big uh, gap between between them and everyone else. Um, uh, that's the default ninety percent of the time. The big gets bigger in tech. You ha you have to come up with something really disruptive, and we're going to talk about Cloudflare later on. You have to come up with really something different uh, in order to change those rankings. And the other is Oracle, IBM, Tencent, even. Uh, no one's talking about them in, in any sort of capacity as uh, being able to take uh, take the others on. It's pretty much me too services. Uh, uh, if if you like, if you're in the Oracle ecosystem, if you're in the IBM ecosystem, you use their stuff. But otherwise, there's no reason to use them. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I I do also think that basically developer mindshare leads to um, uh, leads to market share. Um, and as far as the mindshare goes, uh, it's pretty much those big three. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And we're going to hit Cloudflare. But first, I think it'd be very interesting because 
from our perspective, and I think a lot of investors' perspectives, they look at AWS, GCP, and Azure, and they are the exact same thing. So I want to look at each yeah, and look. Yeah. yeah, I know that they're probably not the exact same thing. So I want to look at each and say, like, why, if you're a startup, if you're a mid-sized company, if you're a legacy company, like, say, Walmart trying to transition somewhere, we'll start with AWS. Why would someone choose AWS, say, all costs being equal, or maybe the cost, there's a difference there, um, over a GCP or, or an Azure? Yeah, I'll say all uh, from 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 the bat, we should probably ignore cost because uh, cost is a very complicated discussion and probably all of them are approximately equal. Uh, there will be some things that are cheaper in the other clouds because AWS uh, uh, surprisingly does charge a premium on some things. Uh, but other than that, like they're, they're pretty much comparable. So you're really talking about features and and and, uh, you know, market focus. Um, so AWS was essentially the first cloud. Um, there's there's some claim that that uh, GCP might be first, uh, but uh, really, it, it, pretty much everyone just uh, regards AWS as the first cloud. Um, you, uh, there are very strong reasons for for adopting them is essentially uh, that they have the deepest talent pool. There are entire industries uh, that and 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 a horde of people specialized to to help you optimize your AWS cost um, and to to get you set up and, and to to administer AWS carefully. Um, so just based on the ecosystem of existing partners and people that you can hire um, and and administrate and, and and run these things, um, AWS just. Uh, is the default choice for most people, um, including, by the way, uh, with startups, because, uh, for example, AWS would do things like if you get accepted into Y Combinator, you get 150k in AWS credits right out of the bat. Um, don't quote me on that exact number; it's it's in the ballpark of 100, 150k, uh, and this is the same amount that you get from YC itself. <laughs> so they give you the, <laughs> um, they give you a lot of incentives to to get you started on the cloud and um, and once you're started you're kind of sticky like you, you're not going to migrate just for just for mere cost reasons but particularly if the costs are comparable uh, so uh, a big reason to choose AWS is just entrenched uh, existing ecosystem um, they they have a really good startup program I'll talk about the other companies in in a bit but. Um, uh, and, and they have probably the widest array of offerings. Uh, that's a pro and a con because it's extremely confusing to choose between 17 different types of compute on AWS. But the fact is that they have the largest customers. If they're, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the thinking will go, well, hey, I mean, if, if Netflix tried to build the cloud and then they, they gave up and they <laughs> went back to Amazon, uh, you know, can you do better than that? And the answer is probably no. <laughs> and if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. What about Azure? Because it, it seems yeah. like they've been gaining share a, a bit. How would yeah. they, why would someone choose them over GCP or AWS? Yeah. So I was listening to you guys' uh, uh, so the, the episode where I where I DM'd you guys, um, I heard that you guys were talking about Azure as like the the second the, the last choice pick because they they were more serving legacy, uh, um, you know, uh, companies. Um, tell us, I would of, describe... tell us if that is completely wrong. <laughs> we're dead wrong. <laughs> so that's not the way that most people would phrase it uh, because everyone serves legacy at some point, and it, especially like. It's kind of a goal in, if you work in infrastructure to serve legacy companies because they have a lot of uh, money. Um, the, the, the way that you talk about it in, in terms of Azure is that they have the best distribution. Uh, they have the, the Microsoft's ecosystem is extremely strong. The uh, the, the partners, the, the selling uh, is extremely strong. If you already bought into like the rest of the Microsoft stack, you might as well adopt Azure is, is kind of the, the way to think about it. Uh, that's the one thing. The second thing is is now with, uh, with the OpenAI stuff, they, they might actually... Uh, be the preferred uh, partner of choice because they have made a very strategic bet on AI and it is starting to pay off. Uh, they invested a billion dollars into open AI. Uh, they have always been the first cloud to uh, to offer credits and, and um, a lot of user support when it comes to starting up AI businesses. Uh, and so I would say that they are the friend of AI companies right now, uh, like even over Amazon and Google, which is surprising because Google, uh, you know, we'll talk about Google in a bit. Um, but yeah, I would not describe them as, as serving legacy. Like they, they serve as a very specific um, enterprise part of the business um, that may, maybe like is less visible because they don't have like the Netflixes of the world. Uh, but they actually do quite well there. I think they're in number two position. Um, to put numbers, I think I have numbers actually. So AWS has because I, I I pulled this up. I only have this this one number. AWS has sixty two billion in revenue. Uh, 
Azure is 52 billion and GCP is at 28 billion. So a, a firm third place there. Yeah. And, and Azure, they don't even, it's so hard. Like they, they don't report that on a, um, I don't know. There's, there's, they're, they're a little coy with reporting that number every quarter. But yeah, that's all of them are. Yeah, AWS put off um, breaking out uh, AWS numbers for for many years. And I think that I, I so I remember I was interviewing for a hedge fund job the day that they stood it out, and like the stock wow. itself jumped five percent, <laughs> which for for Amazon size is pretty significant. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've uh, I've I've read about that day being. Uh, kind of a crazy one for the industry when they finally broke out the numbers and the margins. You but know, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, like we kind of knew it was a big deal, but like, we didn't know it was like profitable. We didn't know like how big it was. Um, and yeah, you've, you've got, you guys have all had that discussion already. So I will repeat it. But uh, so, so I think Azure, you know, um, it's kind of a weird thing to say that distribution matters, but if distribution matters then Microsoft is really, really good at it because they also happen to sell, you know, windows and office and uh, LinkedIn and, you know, whatever else have you. And uh, they, they do like to bundle that. And they, they do like to make sure that if you're in the Microsoft uh, ecosystem, they, you, you, you adopt the entire Microsoft stack, including by the way, programming languages. So if you are in the C sharp stack, um, uh, that is a, uh, that is you, you are automatically captive to, to, to Microsoft, which is huge. Um, C sharp, like most people, like people of my kind will never touch them, but we respect them in a the sense that it is a very productive stack. Uh, it is completely designed end to end by Microsoft. And, um, I think it's, uh, it, it's doing, it's doing very well in its own, in its own way. Gotcha. All right. And last one, third place, I think they have about 10% market share would be GCP, Google Cloud. Yeah. Why would someone choose them over AWS and Azure? And you had a follow-up when I sent this over about them having, you know, creating Kubernetes and transformers and how that gave them maybe an advantage. So what what's holding them back, I guess, from yeah. being as big yes. as the other guys? So before this show, I was commenting to you that um, Google has had two very big, I mean, and, and this is not exhaustive, but just, just two of the big uh, innovations in tech in the past 10 years, which is one is just Kubernetes, they, 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 uh, which is an uh, external version of the internal version that they developed for themselves called Borg. Um, and that is the, the, the behemoth uh, cloud management runtime that essentially uh, has has won the cloud orchestration wars um if you and anytime you see like kubecon cloud native con any 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 of those words that come up that is an the sign that they are part of the kubernetes ecosystem and by now most companies especially if you're infrastructure companies you run on kubernetes uh so google released this and then failed to capture market share despite being the creators of kubernetes despite being the first consumers of borg uh, and that's a shame. <laughs> I would say that Amazon Kubernetes service and Azure Kubernetes service are probably bigger than GCP, <laughs> which is sad. Uh, and then, and then, and then Google also invented the transformer in 2017, which, uh, which is the core architecture for all the large language models. <laughs> And now Azure is the AI company. Um, gotcha. So and, uh, man, they're and, really missing the ball there. <laughs> uh, large language models. That's the open AI stuff, right? And all the yes. stuff that the chat box. aligns okay. with. Yeah. Aligns with uh, Microsoft. Yes. Gotcha. Just wanted um, to have that, but continue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, 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 quite a like, Look, like I don't know the people involved. I'm sure they're very smart, very, very well, very capable. Uh, but th there's, uh, you know, there's a pr there's a perspective that it's been mismanaged. Uh, they had some churn in the CEO. Um, I, I forget, was it Diane something? Um, it was a was a former CEO of of uh, one of the companies that they acquired. Um, she was in and out for like three years, and it, it was just kind of mismanaged from the top. Um, and I also wanted to cover briefly uh, Steve Yegi, who is a very prominent developer, uh, early Amazon and early Google. Um, so has seen uh, AWS and then seen GCP form from the very beginning. He has a very famous platforms rant that I would refer everyone to. He had, there is an original one, and then there was a follow up uh, that people should check out uh, that describes why GCP is in third place. That they that they have uh, not been able to maintain their products for developers in a way that they that they would trust. Uh, so they would randomly deprecate things overnight. So the, in a thing that you build your entire business on, they will, they will, they will send you a notice and say like, oh, like we have a new version of this. Yeah, your the thing that you're using is going to be deprecated at the end of the year please move. Um, and unscheduled IT spend is never a good thing <laughs> with, uh, with, a, with a platform that you want to build on. So they have this reputation of, you know, discontinuing stuff. Yes, in the consumer division, obviously the Stadia and like, you know, the 
10 different uh, chat apps that they have. Consumer division is very different from GCP, right? So the GCP people will tell you like, we, yeah, we are very, we're a different, very different org than the rest of Google, uh, but they have this stain and reputation and it's something that they work working very hard to overcome. Um, they have, uh, if you ever want to talk to someone from GCP, uh, I think they're head of marketing. I forget their name. Uh, their head of marketing re recently came from Amazon uh, and is trying to uh, figure out like, how how do we how do we fix the the image? Obviously, Google like is is itself very good at cloud. Uh, they they don't get platforms is the assertion there, and it's something that they have to overcome. All right, last one I guess on the individual cloud players, uh, Cloudflare, and we we did that interview a while back, um, discussing the business, but people may not have listened to that. So, could you talk about I guess what Cloudflare is, and then you mentioned that they're beating AWS at their own game. What do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, so that's a, that's a little bit of a um, provocative title, you know. Obviously, AWS is uh, something like something on the order of fifty to sixty times the Cloudflare size, so it's kind of a pain in the neck for them. Um, so Cloudflare is a first and foremost a content delivery network, um, which is uh, it, I actually went back and listened to your interview previously, and I thought it was very well very well done. So it competes with Akamai, it competes with um, uh, other. CDNs I can't name because uh, there's so many of them. Uh, AWS itself has a CDN um, called CloudFront, uh, and uh, there there is there are some market share statistics out there. I would say CloudFront and Cloudflare have about the same uh, market position, um, both sort of tied for number one. Um, and so what a CDN does is it accelerates delivery of your content. Um, whenever you are requesting data uh, for, for watching your videos or uh, requesting reading something from a website, downloading any image, um, does it, it doesn't necessarily come from uh, an origin server, which is, let's say, uh, for, for most of Amazon, it would come from US East 1, which is in Virginia, uh, some data center in Virginia. Like the concept of a physical location for, for your data, for your code, for anything that is that's being run or downloaded, um, goes away with the CDN because then it would be distributed to the edge. Uh, and Cloudflare has something like on the order of 10,000 points of presence around the world. Um, and that is about a couple of orders of magnitude more than the points of presence that Amazon has. Um, uh, and any any CDN provider would basically provide uh, something like this that caches your stuff at the edge, um, has a cache expiry, basically accelerates the, your, the speed of your experience. Um, and that's how they started out. Um, I would say that the other thing that they provide is also security services. So Cloudflare's innovative um, um, approach to the market was essentially to take uh, a firewall um, that most people would charge for and give it away for free. Just give it away. Just like take, uh, and, and that was extremely disruptive because everyone else was charging for it. And they were like, nope, we'll do it for you for free. And I think the thing that people don't understand is that uh, there's a huge um, growth Sorry, there's a huge gain in value when you do things at scale. And for them, giving away for free gave them the most data about DDoS attacks, which is something that you guys covered in your in your previous interview as well. Um, and by by that point, making them Cloudflare become the uh, world experts in DDoS. Um, and so I, it's it's come to a point where I've heard startup founders themselves um, just go like. Uh, just put Cloudflare in front of it. Like it, it always solves DDoS. Um, and whenever uh, any founders, I've heard a founder basically say like they are the sort of pain button. Whenever um, whenever they're experiencing a pretty bad security attack, um, there's a button that you can push for uh, premium Cloudflare support. You pay them like 60 grand or something, they'll come in and fix it for you. Uh, and they are extremely capable of that. And it's, so, it's, so it's very uh, interesting and, dis and disruptive. Um, so from the security side, from the content side, that's good. You know, um, By the way, for those who don't know Cloud, there's sort of three main categories of monetization, right? There's compute, storage, and network. Um, so primarily they are monetizing network, uh, which is how much uh, data goes back and forth over, over your network, uh, that's, or bandwidth as, as, as you call it. Um, compute and storage are, are less important for, for Cloudflare, um, but there's something that, that's something that they're going into. So uh, probably the, their newest, hottest thing is essentially the Edge Worker platform, um, uh, or Cloudflare Workers is what they call it. So Cloudflare Workers launched as a smart edge functionality where you could run compute at the edge. Uh, and this would be good for things like redirects and authentication and um, uh, you know rendering and, and a bunch of other uh, small smaller use cases. But that is now increasingly growing because they've also added storage solutions. So now they have the full suite of 
compute storage and edge, uh, compute storage and bandwidth, uh, except that they've done it in a decentralized fashion compared to AWS. Um, and uh, it's pretty interesting because they are now the technology leaders in, in edge working um, to the point where they have a three times cost advantage to AWS Lambda at edge, like the equivalent competing solution from AWS. Um, and so most people would pick them over the AWS at this point. And so my, my my blog post on this, when I was when I realized this, I was like, holy crap, this is huge. Um, I called it eating AWS from the outside in, right? You do not go after AWS itself to, to compete with AWS. You surround AWS with all your services, right? Like I would I would run my business on AWS, but on top of it, I would add Cloudflare for the DDoS protection for the caching speed, right? And then, and then I'll move some of my compute and storage over to the Edge Workers platform. And then pretty much I don't need AWS anymore because I've just moved increasingly more and more pieces of my business to Cloudflare. <laughs> and that's essentially the, the strategy to becoming the fourth cloud. That's pretty a bold, bold pitch on uh, Cloudflare, although again, None of this is an investing advice. Everyone should do their own research and go listen to that. We did, I think it was a couple hours. We did a two-part interview with Joe Fermansky yeah. over at non yeah, Sum Capital. Yeah, he knows yeah, he the also, industry quite well. Yeah. He also mentioned the R2 uh, thing, which is, uh, again, the most bold-faced wrapper service strategy I've ever seen. Uh, so literally, so uh, AWS, uh, I think their second or third ever service, the most popular service by far is AWS S3, simple storage service. Uh, and that is the default store of all data on the web. Um, anytime you upload a file, you, you you look at the URL, It's if it says S3 on it, that's that's AWS. Cloudflare is saying, right, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap around you like every service and we'll, we'll Make your will reduce your bandwidth cost to zero because AWS charges for all, all downloads. We'll just say Cloudflare just like we'll, we'll we'll wrap it for you and make the downloads free. Uh, and that's something that it, uh, Cloudflare has just pursued for years, and AWS just has not. Uh, AWS is not interested in being friends of any other any other cloud providers. Whereas Cloudflare has a has a bandwidth alliance that they've established where they have peering agreements that make data transfer free uh, for everyone who's not named AWS, which is <laughs> extremely extremely aggressive. Uh, but yeah. it's working. <laughs> gotcha. And if so, I think that leads into this next part pretty smoothly. People talk about multi-cloud. Um, you know, there's okay. Snowflake yeah. is the biggest one. I think that you know it was a hot topic. Maybe no, no, ago, uh, no, or, no. Those those are different. Uh, okay. Well, correct. I guess correct me if I'm wrong. Then or uh, define multi-cloud. I guess because maybe we don't understand it. But exactly, does that turn the industry into a commodity? Uh, and why or why not? Um, no, it does not. Does the turning the industry is turning itself into a commodity? It doesn't need the help of multi-cloud to do that, just because of race to the bottom of prices. Um, uh, so multi-cloud uh, is it is it the the reason I have such an instinctive no when you when you mention Snowflake is because that's not usually the way that people talk about multi multi-cloud. Uh, the typical way that people talk about multi-cloud is. Uh, if, uh, if, for example, you are using both Azure and Amazon in the same company uh, for, for different services, different features that they have. Um, so uh, typically, that seems like a waste. That seems like you want to centralize your budget. Um, but realistically, each of these companies would have different offerings that might appeal to different parts of your company. Uh, and who are you as Mr. CTO or Mrs. CIO to dictate what I use? Right, I, I as the developer, I'm the expert, uh, and I should make the, the the best technical choices that serves my product and, and matches my expertise. Right, so there's this back and forth between the the top down decision making in tech versus the bottom up decision making uh, that's that's going on. And, and I think a lot of companies rightly are just saying, well, I don't I don't care. Like I you know I just manage the spend, but um, you know as long as I as long as my developers are happy and productive, um, I don't actually care what tech you use. Uh, and that's probably the right approach. Um, but there is something to be said about centralizing costs and in a way that you can negotiate at a company-wide level, right? So I think there's a back and forth between the uh, bottom-up and top-down thing. Um, there are multi-cloud companies that are um, uh, targeted at serving this market. Um, you know, uh, probably one of the uh, more interesting one is HashiCorp. Um, and uh, one of the one of the ways I always uh, talk about the multi-cloud strategy is most people are multi-cloud by accident. Like they're not multi-cloud by choice. Um, usually, for example, uh, when it's decided at the, at the corporate level to make an acquisition, um, like a large company buys a medium-sized company. And then at the integration stage, when, they, when, they, when all the acquisition details have been worked out, they discover they're working on different clouds. Do you force a rewrite? No, that's stupid. Like that's a, that's a huge uh, cost expense that you don't have, they don't have to avoid. Uh, so that you can just avoid. Um, so most people, most companies are essentially multi 
get called by accident and that is completely fine. What are, are, are the feature offerings from the different providers? Is there a lot of overlap? Do they do a lot of them like already provide a lot of the same features and it's more just like one's a better product or are they more like specialized? Yeah, um, there's a long tail. Um, so there is, yes, there is a lot of overlap, but all you need is one feature you can't get from someone <laughs> and you're just going to go after that one, right? Uh, particularly if it's some AI thing from Azure uh, or some uh, Kubernetes thing from from uh, GCP uh, that, that Amazon just doesn't have, you're going to go for it um, because, you know, uh, Amazon doesn't offer it. You're going to go for it. Uh, but yeah, like like I said, right, like most of the universe can be can be consolidated into uh, you know, 17 different types of compute, 17 different types of storage, 17 different types of networking. Um, and there's, you know, the Amazon basics version of this, there's the Google basics version of this. There's a, they all have like slightly different um, takes on it. And companies like HashiCorp are helping to commoditize between them, um, but not in a way that is seriously damaging uh, because all they do is help uh, pave, over, pave over the APIs. There will be Terraform providers um, that you can sort of adapt to each of these. Um, so I don't think that is the main concern. It, everyone's trying to pursue sort of the value-added services and and uh, and, and uh, the big three clouds are um, no special in that, right? All, all of them are trying to pursue like different ways in, in which they can capture your mindshare so you stay within a particular cloud. Uh, I, will, I will highlight Amazon again as, as, uh, as a cloud that, particularly incentivizes you to stay within their cloud uh, by charging uh, what they call the data egress fees, right? Um, so you can check in, but you can't check out. Or if you if, if you want to check out, they'll, they'll charge you for it. So if you want to operate your workloads across clouds, you're going to have to pay it for the for the bandwidth if you, if you want to do that. Or you can take the Amazon Basics version of it and stay within the cloud and not get charged for your bandwidth. So um, there, there's all these sort of incentives to, for you to centralize your workloads. Um, but if there's a feature that you just plain do not have, um, then people will go for that. Where does Snowflake fit into all this? Ah, exactly. So um, why I kind of reject the, the concept of, of Snowflake being part of the multi-cloud story is that Snowflake is an independent data cloud, right? Uh, that uh, has really carved out a niche for itself. Uh, probably, you know, in, in the discussion earlier that we have uh, about talking about driving growth over, over the past five years, that's one thing I missed. I, I, I'll go back and add that, um, that the, the, the growth in data warehousing in general is huge, 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 huge driver of, of, uh, of IT spend, um, and has changed my own career as well. I used to be on the compute side and networking side, uh, and now I'm in data. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, another data data point I can offer you is that AWS Redshift, which is the Amazon in-house version of Snowflake, um, is the fastest growing Amazon service ever. Um, and since since it was introduced ten years ago, um, so it's so there's a lot of pointers towards data being. Uh, a central force in how people run companies. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's kind of a meme to say data is the new oil, but data is the new oil. Um, and, and Snowflake has really carved out a niche for itself as the best data warehouse in the space, uh, in a space filled with, you know, Google has a, Google has BigQuery, which is probably number two. Um, uh, Azure has uh, Synapse, which is a distant number four, number five. Um, and, uh, and, and GCP and Amazon has, has Redshift. Um, so Snowflake is, is in that mix as, uh, but, it, but has somehow managed to carve itself out as uh, the best uh, independent data cloud, uh, which, which is, which makes it play really nice with the other clouds um, because it, ha it has all its own independent infrastructure. Um, but it's a, it's a really interesting non-consensus view that someone uh, who is not AWS or, or GCP or Azure can come from nowhere and just completely dominate. I think they, they at their peak, they were like $120 billion business. Gotcha. And this might be, uh, tell me if this is a dumb question, but are the cloud providers trying to vertically integrate and provide their own software tools? Because I, I kind of see yeah, sometimes, um, and maybe Redshift is the wrong one, but you see a lot of them, you know, come up with a lot of products that may, maybe they're not purely software, but they're trying to compete with, say, uh, I guess an example I know of is is a MongoDB. Um, do you think that this strategy will work in the long run, or I guess it's a hard question, but any any thoughts on the vertical integration uh, between Snowflake and Mongo? Uh, no, it's just uh, yeah. Sorry, I should have. For say the, I guess 
you know, AWS, GCP, and Azure, you might have, uh, I forget GCPs, it's BigQuery or, um, yes. you know, some of the other well, stuff that, that might be, it might be software. It's, I guess it's not pure software, but the, you know, they might have their own tools that compete with some of the uh, products that are the customers of them. Do you think that strategy can work or is it kind of, it seems like there's going to be a lot of conflict is what I'm saying. It seems like it, but like just the sheer existence of Snowflake is actually giving me a lot of hope that uh, you can uh, build independent clouds. You don't have to be a second layer cloud, uh, it, which is exciting. Uh, it, it means there there is still white space left in in, in the cloud ecosystem. Uh, but like you have to be a Snowflake, and I feel like they are they are almost like the the exception to the to the norm. <laughs> so I I don't know how much to generalize from from that one example. Uh, you did mention MongoDB as a as a <clears throat> as an alternative uh, data company, but uh, I would not place them in the same classes uh, as Snowflake. Uh, MongoDB just happens to be a very successful um, a database company uh, with a with a huge licensing business that is only slowly bec becoming uh, its own independent cloud business. Um, but uh, yeah, most database companies uh, do not reach the, the the scale of cloud business that uh, Snowflake has. Uh, so they, they've really carved out a niche for themselves as uh, as providers of uh, warehousing and and uh, particularly all the services that come with warehousing, including compute. Okay. And we talked about this next question before we recorded. So uh, as generalists, I guess, or anyone that's not in the industry, which I think a lot of, you know, what's a lot of our industry uh, as investors, we think of the cloud as just, all right, you took your servers, you had them at your office, and then you moved them to whatever, a, a, the place Clouds. in Oregon on the West Coast, the cloud, you know, you, may, you moved it to Virginia, right? And AWS does all the work. Is there anything that is important, I guess, maybe from investment or product perspective that generalists like ourselves, investors, you know, analysts on Wall Street misunderstand about the cloud today that, that's very important. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't talk to journalists all day long. So it's not like I have a, a huge uh, grasp of, of where people are, are, are uh, off. Uh, I would say do not underestimate the change in the way that people are using cloud. Uh, within the cloud category itself, because there's very huge structural changes in and uh, in, in how that works. Um, so my favorite statistic uh, coming from inside Amazon um, is that Amazon itself used to work, used to run on EC2, which is Elastic Compute Cloud, which was pretty much the, the first compute service that was launched in Amazon. Um, today, 50% or more than 50% of Amazon.com's internal services that are internal customers of AWS, 50% of them use AWS Lambda, which is the serverless equivalent of EC2. Um, and that has shifted dramatically uh, towards more flexible computing, uh, faster computing, uh, more scalable computing as well. Um, and so uh, that is going to drive sort of the next wave in cloud adoption, in, in cloud spends and in, in volume. And I think to miss that structural shift is going. You're you're going to miss, um, you know, changes in in who's who's leading and who's uh, falling behind. Um, the role of data is something that um, I I would particularly call out as well. Like the um, who's winning and uh, falling behind in the data engineering space, um, which is uh, has led to my choice of uh, company to be at. Um, and then maybe uh, you know, second layer clouds as well. The the the, the concept that. The big three have become so dominant that no one's trying to compete with them. Everyone's trying to compete on value-added stuff by verticalizing on top of the first layer clouds. Okay, Taylor, and off that then, if we were talking on, all right, what's today? December 19th, 2022. If we're talking on December 19th, 2027, what, <laughs> how, what does the industry look like then? How, how do you think the next five years kind of work out? Is it still going to be, uh, largely dominated by the big three in terms of market share, or do you think? I think you the the term you said was eating them from the outside in. Do you think more workload or, or spend is going to be with those other ancillary or, or add value added companies? Yeah, um, that's interesting. Five years. Um, so, um, you know, I think I think you covered this uh, as well in in the um, in previous podcasts. Um, the existing commitments to AWS is very strong, uh, and the existing clouds. The, the way that you do cloud spend is you lock people in for three to five years, right? Like so, pretty much people 
like uh, Andy Jassy, who runs who runs Amazon now, already knows what earnings are going to be in five years. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the only thing that's not determined in the, in the five year window um, is how much the others will grow. Um, and they, it's not a, it's not a fixed pie. You know, we're also moving with a we're also dealing with a moving target. And it's very typical in growing growing industries like this that the incumbent players will grow, but at a slower pace and the, the up and coming players will take up the majority of the growth. Um, and so as an investor, you're like, where should you put your money? Should you put your money in the slower growing, but bigger companies, or should you put your money in the faster growing ones? And that's obviously a factor of interest rates and growth and uh, what have you. Um, so typically like, it, it's funny to say that five years is short term, but it kind of is <laughs> because the, the 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 bigger changes will be seen over the ten to twenty year range. But that that's that's the order of that's how downstream uh, the, the financials are from the tech, right? Like the the tech is so far ahead that you have you kind of have to go like, all right, on on principle, this is a fundamentally better technology, therefore this will win in a ten to twenty year ish time frame, <laughs> which is which is a really really hard uh, thing to to try to interpret, uh, which is why I'm no longer in uh, active pub, uh, public market investing, by the way. But <laughs> uh, but I love I I love just uh, getting deep into the the fundamentals of of the tech and uh, trying to determine that. So yes, uh, so I I I do think that Cloudflare does have a very good shot. I don't know if it's within a five year window, uh, but they have uh, from a fundamental basis constructed a market position for the, for themselves where AWS cannot fight back. That is a very, very good place to be in. Um, Snowflake has done that. Databricks has done that, by the way. Databricks is a, a ML version of Snowflake. Um, and, and there are a bunch of the, these other smaller companies, right? Every company that you guys are dealing with is in the, like, if, if the market cap was a billion dollars, it'd be too small for you. If, if it's in the $5 billion, it'd be too small for you. Uh, and and I, that's, a, that's a struggle that I had uh, in, in, in my hedge fund. Uh, but there are so many of us in, in the startup and tech ecosystem where we deal in the, 10 to 100 million dollar market cap range like valuation range where we're betting on the future of tech uh, that will be the dominant uh, players in 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 the distant future so um i don't know how to phrase that to you apart from like I, I feel like if you're looking for investing opportunities the world is probably wider than you think uh once you look outside of public markets <laughs> beautiful yeah and so it would be very surprising to see the cloud market from a spending perspective it doesn't matter who has the market share that's you know it's a little bit of a harder question It'd be hard to see it not being, say, 50%, 100% larger five years from now, just because you have those existing long-term contracts. Yes. Yeah. These these things are mega trends, right? Like they are existing, like the DOD uh, moving over <laughs> to cloud. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that like uh, scale, scale just locked in a 10-year contract for $2 billion, like it's, these kinds of things take uh take on the order of of a decade to play out uh and they've already pre been predetermined today like we we know they're going to happen they're, they're just going to take some time to move over um and, and uh, i mean that's encouraging and in, in, in some expect but also like as investors you're looking for volatility right you want the 10 bagger in one year maybe i don't know but like <laughs> that's where that's the those are the hero trades those are the things you talk about at bars but really like when you build a business you're you're building for sustainable revenue and predictable growth and like those things don't 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 happen because that's not how you get the big the big fish right the big fish hunt slowly and and, and there's a lot of them to go around once once they've been hunted uh so <laughs> uh, so i don't know how to uh, how to advise uh on that um, um I, I will say you know i i think maybe in in five years uh, given the trajectory of ai uh progress and spend um the, the sort of dark horse in in this would be um azure overtaking aws purely on ai that that would be like that that is massively projecting from today's hype. So yeah, I'm definitely talking like uh, you know, obviously after every hype there is a there's a disappointment phase. Um, so who knows? But if if any were to win uh, or to significantly disrupt the current path of, of things, is it is that AI is a much bigger deal and much bigger broader um, opportunity than most people expect today. Uh, and therefore, you should. Uh, invest in any any company that is much further along in the in the AI AI space, and I'd probably say that Azure is um, much further along. Okay, I think I think that's all the questions we have, Brad. David. Yeah, he's giving me the thumbs up here. Um, Sean, this is this is a lot of fun. Where if listeners want to like keep up with you, what's the best place to do that? 
God, I used to say Twitter, but like now Twitter is a complete like chaos, and uh, I I have no idea. Um, so uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, uh, or you can find me on my site uh, strix.io. Um, I do have a couple of uh, blogs, uh, one on developer tooling, and then one on AI, um, which is something I'm tracking pretty pretty closely. So yeah, find me on strix.io. And it's and that's S W Y X dot I O. Yeah, yeah, those, right. yeah, those are my initials. Um, uh, and yeah, basically, I, you know, I just I love talking about the business implications of tech, uh, but it's hard to make forecasts. Or, you know, that's that's where the the sort of analysts come in. Um, but uh, I, I think there's there's a lot to share from uh, from finance people going deeper into tech, and I, and I, I hope to encourage more people to understand the fundamentals because um, that is what will last. It's not the quarterly sort of missed at missed the street, uh, you know, or beat the street. Like I don't, I no longer care about that. And that is a great benefit to my mental health. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if uh, AWS grew 28% versus 30%, like and the don't stock's care. down 5%, you know, yeah, well, don't care. Yeah. is that a, is that a big deal? I, I, I love, so. I love when people talk about like percent IT spend, like, <laughs> like, like, like the really, really big needle moving things. Uh, those, those are the things that I, I wish that more people, um, looked after and and i i you know if i if i could go back to my former finance analyst days i would have asked i would have tried to get into a a, a vc or or long only uh, funds that invested that way instead of uh, what i ended up with which is essentially a chop shop like we 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 had a portfolio turnover of 12 times uh, which means that once a month we turned over our entire portfolio uh, which is which is uh very very stressful yeah that is uh it's hard to i think focus on on bigger trends and longer term when you're turning it over that 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 much but uh i think that's going to do it thank you sean for doing this i should we should throw a disclosure on here uh brett and i are not financial advisors anything we say or discuss uh is not formal advice or recommendation we are however general partners at arch capital so clients may have positions in the securities discussed on this podcast thank you all for tuning in thank you again sean for coming on the show this was a blast and we will see you all next time Okay, I am welcomed by the founder of our exclusive sponsor, Stratosphere.io, uh, Braden Dennis. Braden, welcome. I wanted to basically give listeners that are interested in Stratosphere more context around what the platform is. So let's start there. What is Stratosphere? And then why did you decide to start it? Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to be sponsoring the podcast as, as a listener myself. I like the deep dives. I like the different guests, the different perspectives on uh, some interesting companies. So I think it's a good concept for a podcast, which is kind of what led me down to making Stratosphere in the first place, which was I was making content online and frustrated with the tools that were available to me. So I started building uh, a very scrappy version of the product just for free, just to figure out like, how can I overlay 10 years of financial side by side, up to 35 years we have now? And how can I actually build out a proper database of, of company KPIs that are not just revenue, but like if you're looking at like Costco, like how many warehouses do they have? How many paid members are are in like our Costco members? Or, you know, if I want to do a comp against like the streaming, like how many Netflix subs versus uh HBO plus, Discovery Plus. No Disney Plus, like how do I build out proper comps of those? Because those are the metrics that actually move the business. Those are the ones that actually move the needle more than any like gap financial metric you'll find. And so it started off as just purely a passion project. And I figured let's just make the leap into entrepreneurship and uh, see where it goes. And, you know, it brought, brought us here today. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it, it is the stuff that you can't find anywhere else, at least not in a, I mean, you could find it page by page and on their financials. Exactly. But. You can go through 35 uh, PDF filings and find it, be, be my guest. And, and, that, and that's basically what we did for a long time. So what do, I guess, maybe describe the pricing model so people know, sure. but uh, you're going to say it, it, there's there's a free platform. What do free users get? Yeah, good good thing. Cause our, our mission was to always build a free platform. And and so we really kept true to our mission and give like an amazing platform for free, which gives you 10 years of financial statements 
on 40,000 global securities. So we don't list you just to US securities. It's on global stocks. We give you a watch list, the screener, comparisons on competitors, fundamental charting up to 10 years, filings, transcripts. You can look at the press releases right inside the app, news, ETFs, funds, super investors, hedge fund letters, investor holdings, and financial calendars. Those are all the features you'll get on uh, on the free tier. Now, if on, on the the middle tier, the personal tier, you're going to unlock up to 35 years of financials and just kind of like nice to have, like quality of life, like notifications being built in, um, price targets for building models, uh, like business owner mode where you can hide prices, like kind of like just that next level for for individual investors who want to level up. And then the the top tier is for like investment teams and professionals who want to unlock that KPI data and request KPI coverage as well. Like a firm will be like, here, we want these 10 names in our coverage and in your coverage. And then you'll have basically our, our entire universe that we're looking at, which is great, right? Because like earnings season comes around and we have it updated within 15 minutes when Netflix comes out with their net subscriber ads, like it's right there in one place, uh, especially easy to handle around the, the peak of earnings season that, that matters a lot for these people. And so we have a, a premium tier for that as well. That's the, that's the three plans that are available today. And now a perfect time to shameless plug our code. If you use CCM, you get 15% off any of the paid plans, but I think that covers it pretty well. Uh, if you're interested, please go ahead and check out stratosphere.io. We'll, we'll have a link in the uh, description as well, but uh, thank you, Brayden, for joining us. Ryan, keep it up. I really like what you and Brett are doing and uh, I'll be listening along.